Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, July 14th. We begin with a look at the continuing conversation surrounding the increasing cost of living from fuel to food to housing. And while the terms inflation and shrinkflation are nothing new, do you know what greedflation is? We get the definition from Janet Music of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Then we take a look at the Bank of Canada interest rate hike and what this means for homeowners and the Canadian housing market in general. We get some insight from Phil Soper, President and CEO of Royal LePage. Rising interest rates and inflation have forced many of us to take on more debt and we are not alone. We speak with Jake Fuss from the Fraser Institute for details on how the current economic climate impacts federal debt levels and what this means to the average Canadian. And finally, it's a taste of Broadway right here in Calgary. We speak with Marja Harmon, one of the stars of the smash hit musical Hamilton, now playing at the Jubilee Auditorium. Well, inflation is forcing consumers to find ways to try and save money. But are grocery stores taking advantage of us and creating greedflation? Joining us with some insight is Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Good morning, Janet. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. How do you define greedflation? Well, I think greedflation really is a clever way of talking about profit seeking. And so, you know, when we think about those big retailers, and there's only about five here in Canada, they have a lot of power in the marketplace. And a lot of Canadians, about 68%, uh, really feel like they're artificially inflating their prices and masking it under the general inflation rate. So, you know, that they perceive as kind of greedy or, you know, greedflation. Well, I'm sure that we could apply the term greedflation to, to very, very many areas in the retail world. Your focus is on grocery, which we all need to, to, to do to live and go to those grocery stores. So I'm wondering where are consumers going to feel the pinch the most at the grocery store in terms of something like greedflation? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And unlike, you know, maybe upgrading your phone or purchasing a new car, regardless of your income, we all have to eat. So people are really feeling it. And I think there's also this idea that, you know, we take care of the people in our communities. And that's why we, you know, those local food initiatives are so popular. People support farmers because they want to support people in the community. And we really just don't see the big retailers as part of our community members. So, you know, there are, you know, traditional big ticket items like meat. And, and we know from the last few uh, uh, data dumps for inflation that meat prices, especially red meat, have gone through the roof. Um, but also things like bread and, and bread, you know, has kind of a sullied reputation because of the bread cartel of 2017. And, you know, things that are shipped here from away like oil and, and other kind of commodities. So you really do think that, it, you know, it's, it's beyond producers setting higher prices for their product. It really is kind of the trickle down effect. And it's, it's the last sort of last man before we get to it that, that's hiking that price. Well, it's really difficult to say. And so, you know, by law, uh, retailers are required to to give out their kind of financial statements. And, and we did look, we analyzed those financial statements and profit margins for grocery retailers are razor thin. And so, you know, they're making about three to five percent gross margin, you know, through the pandemic and, and, and now. And so, 
it doesn't look like they are actually profiting. So is it product market uh, mix? Is it is it just uh, people are switching to grocery stores? Is it the type of food? It's hard to say because those the price setting, uh, you know, in the boardroom of these large retailers, that those cards are kept so close to the chest. So it's difficult for us to say, but certainly people feel that way. And when the consumer has that perception, then it absolutely must be taken seriously. Janet, just to play devil's advocate, what about capitalism? What about the, these stores have the right to, and you say it's a, kind of close to the chest when they set their prices. They can set their prices at whatever they want. As long as it's going off of the shelves, if people are buying them, uh, they're going to continue. And uh, that's their right, isn't it? It, You know, you're right. It is. And, and this is where people get uncomfortable with capitalism when it comes to uh, something that is necessary for us to live our lives, which is food. So... You know, in the summer, we tend to go to more farmer's markets or we get the CSA boxes or roadside stands. So we, you know, we can move away from the grocery retailers, but it's very difficult to do that in the winter. And I think this is where community-minded people, you know, feel uncomfortable with retailers because, you know, Loblaws and Empire Sobeys are Canadian companies, uh, but certainly Walmart is not. And so but they have the best prices sometimes, right? And so you're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And I think if, you know, it's very capitalist to say we need more competition in the grocery retail, uh, you know, market, but that could actually lower costs for consumers in Canada. Janet, do you have any thoughts on, you know, when we might see some prices come back down again, or is this here to stay? Well, you know, certainly the advent of the growing season or harvest season here in Canada traditionally decreases some prices, especially in the things that we grow here. But, uh, you know, we're hoping that now inflation numbers are going to be announced on the 20th, so next week. We're hoping that is the peak and that things are going to start to decrease. Of course, the Bank of Canada raised the interest rate yesterday, which was quite a surprise uh, at the level that they raised it to, and that's going to disrupt the market in ways that remain to be seen. Traditionally, that means prices are kind of in flux. So, you know, I don't think in the short term consumers can count on really cheap meat, but there's always hope, I guess. (laughs) We'll see. We appreciate your insight and your time this morning, Janet. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That is Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. I don't know, Sue, for me, the meat is something that it's been yeah. like. The, the meat has been an issue, and you have to really be a, a ninja with your prices and maybe hookups and Truly. look at different ways like going straight to the ranch or splitting a, some meat with somebody if you have a deep freeze. I have been buying from the Hutterites. And you can buy, you know, the big, nice big chickens in a package of three, or you can get, you know, boxes of different meats. They put different packages together, and it's beautiful fresh meat produced right here in our very own province, obviously. Yeah, you have to look around because prices are outrageous right now, aren't yeah. they? And, and Janet is a specialist when it comes to, to grocery stores and the produce and those items we're putting on the table. And like she said, I, at first I had to wrap my head around that there's only about five major players in the country. And as I mentioned, you can apply greedflation perhaps to other retailers, but... I think those staples, that's when you really notice it. And for me, and I'm glad she mentioned Walmart. And on this program, I've mentioned Walmart in the past and people have you come get, to, You get in trouble oh. for it, don't you? But here's, and especially right now, right? And you do as much local as you can. Of course. I'm going to give you the example. 
Call me weird again, Sue. <laughs> uh, I, the bone broth. I chicken bone broth. I know. Not just the broth, but it's bone broth. I know. For health, and it's good for cartilage, apparently. Is it? I can buy, I used to be able to buy it for $3.27 uh, a liter at Walmart. Right. It made the leap to $3.67, 40 cents. But I do know because I'm, I'm buying it there. And the reason I know their original price of three twenty seven was the big grocery store by my house where I do 89% of my shopping. It is five ninety nine. Oh, really? So I mean, that's a big difference. Yeah. So I mean, it made the forty cent leap, uh, you know, at Walmart, but the same product was already about what two dollars and sixty two cents for a box of bone broth. Well, I think you're nuts for drinking it every day, but that's beside the point. I think you're smart for doing a little bit of you know shopping around. We just we just have to at this point in time. Everything is so expensive. And if you want to be able to feed your family and keep a roof over your ha- uh, a roof over your heads, yeah. y- you need to pay attention to what you're buying and where you're buying it. And those cuts of meat, you know, it's not yeah. steak as much. More so, it's hamburger these days. More so, it's the one with the sticker that said, uh, "Oh, five dollars off if you if you buy today because yep. it's it's the best before." Which you can obviously throw that into the freezer. But sure. I, I would think that better prepared people at this point are the people who have had trouble making ends meet because they know the prices. Mm-hmm. How often do you go in because you didn't have to? I need these 15 items. You wouldn't price check. You'd, you'd throw them in. But now you, you, you've noticed that they've gone up. It's the people who have always been price checking because they've had to. Yes. They have really clearly noticed. Yeah. We've well, got to be smart about it. That's for sure. Well, what does the housing market forecast look like as the Bank of Canada once again raises its key lending rate? Joining us to discuss is Phil Soper, President and CEO of Royal LePage. Good morning to you, Phil. Hey, good to be here. Uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Let's talk about this. It's, it's a very interesting time. Uh, some folks might call it scary. So we want to know what's ahead. You've got the house price survey and market forecast. Can you break down the results for us, Phil? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, Calgary is something of a Goldilocks uh, city, both in results and in our outlook, not too hot, not too cold. Uh, there were far more four cities with far more overshooting during the uh, crazed housing market uh, that occurred during the pandemic, and uh, those are the ones that are going to uh, see the biggest price adjustments. In fact, uh, we think the um, Calgary market will end the year with uh, prices actually up year over year, although not to the extent uh, we would have uh, expected at the beginning of uh, 2021. So sorry, just to clarify, you think the prices here in Calgary, are will they start to even off, but they'll be higher than what they were? Yeah. the uh, we If you look nationally, the um, our forecast uh, in the first quarter for the full year uh, was that markets would uh, push house prices up nationally by 15%. We've re- revised that number down to 5%. So our outlook is that uh, homes will be worth 5% more than they were in 2021 by the time this uh, year ends, um, which means they have to uh, give back some of the uh, early 2022 gains. Essentially, what happened was the market peaked in uh, February, March, and uh, prices have slid from there. We think at this stage, they've uh, done most of the adjusting they will, simply because the number of buyers in market and the number of homes for sale are uh, approximately equal. We're speaking with Phil Soper, president and CEO of Royal LePage, of course, 
They've got the housing forecast, uh, house price survey forecast, uh, moving ahead. Uh, we've lasered in on Calgary, and we appreciate that. Obviously, I'd like to be hyper-local, but as you broaden the scope, how does Calgary compare to the rest of the country with the situation and what's ahead? Calgary would be the the city that'll do the best this year uh, is another moderately priced city, and that's Montreal. The uh, two cities that will give the most back of the gains they made will be Vancouver and Toronto. So it aligns fairly well with affordability. If you look at um, the uh, average home in Calgary, it's a little bit less than half of what a home costs in Vancouver. And that that matters in times of uh, economic reset uh, because you, know, you take a, a professional, a, a teacher, an engineer, uh, they don't make double in Vancouver what you make in Calgary. They make a little bit more, but not double. And so when when uh, the economy resets, when there is a period like we're going through, um, the more moderately priced, more affordable markets like Montreal and, and Calgary shine. Phil, we know that obviously yesterday the Bank of Canada raised its interest rate again. What do you think homeowners, in your opinion, need to know and how this is going to impact mortgages moving forward? If you're in the, if you own a home and you are, and it's time for you to move, uh, say you've got another family member or you're, you've just outgrown your home. There really is no reason why you you uh, can't move when it's right for your family. Because say your home, uh, you live in one of these markets with a considerable reset, and your home is worth 10% less than it was uh, at the peak in February. That's, that's emotionally draining to think, oh, I'm going to get, say, $100,000 less in my home. But the home you're going to buy is also worth less. And most people move laterally or up. In other words, they buy bigger homes or more expensive homes as they move through their life till right at the the end of their home ownership uh, journey. And so if you get 10% off a more expensive home, you're actually doing better. So there's no reason for people who are in the market and own not to move when it makes sense for their family and, you know, when they have the means. If you're a new homeowner, I can understand why you'd be, you'd be cautious. What you're really weighing right now is, will the increasing cost of money outweigh the uh, potential decline in home values? And by our analysis, as I said earlier, most of the reset in prices happened in the April, May, and June time frame of this year. So you're, 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 you're relatively safe for a first-time buyer to get into the market uh, again. When it makes sense for you or for you and your, your partner, uh, and you shouldn't be too concerned. The Canadian housing stock is very solid. Uh, we've got the fastest growing uh, population in the advanced world. And people need to put a roof over their heads. And uh, sadly, the other statistic about Canada is we've got fewer homes per capita 
than any other advanced nation. So the fewest homes and the fastest growing population, home prices are going to continue to rise over over time. That's that's really not a not a concern. What we're we're dealing with right now is 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 a reset, both because of the rising cost of money, but also because house prices overshot during the pandemic. Very interesting and great insights. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your time, Phil. My pleasure. You guys take care. You too. There's Phil Soper, president and CEO of Royal LePage. And uh, to me, if we had more time with Phil, and I know that it was the house price survey and market forecast. My question is, you mentioned the greatest trepidation has to be among first-time buyers, right? Yeah, yeah. Is as quick as we've seen these bank, these key lending rates go up. Could if, they come yeah, down? If we correct this inflation, as Tiff Macklem has said time and time again, if we correct that, will we do give backs and, and bring those rates down, for example, next year? Mm-hmm. Or is this two or three years out? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess that's the other thing if you're on the sidelines. It's good questions. It's a bit stressful this right now, isn't it? The Fraser Institute releasing a new study examining federal debt in Canada by prime ministers since Confederation. So how does the Trudeau government compare? Here to discuss is Jake Fuss, senior economist with the Fraser Institute. Good morning, Jake. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's talk about uh, how our current Trudeau government fares compared to perhaps a past Trudeau government and others in the past as well. How, how How does this government shape up? Yeah, well, government debt grew considerably during the pandemic as you know, the government borrowed money for emergency spending and other measures. Um, so if we look at the federal level in particular, we've seen consecutive large deficits both before and during COVID. Um, and that's resulted in per-person debt increasing by about 35% since 2015 out of the Trudeau government. Um, and then this is the third highest increase we've seen uh, since World War II. Um, so it is a substantial um, increase, especially when we are comparing to other prime ministers that have gone through recessions similar to the Trudeau government is um, has gone through um, over the last few years here. Okay, you, you took us back to World War II, Jake, but, you know, in, in closer to today times, how does the government compare? Yeah, so if we compare um, the, the Trudeau government to other governments um, that have gone through recessions recently, um, you know, comparing them to the Harper government, for instance, um, who experienced the 2008 recession, um, they increased per-person debt at a much lower rate than the current government. Um, it was about 11% increase in per-person debt, um, whereas the Trudeau government uh, since 2015 has increased it by about 35%. So there is a considerable difference, um, but we also have to compare it to other governments, too. If we look at uh, Pierre Trudeau, for instance, his father, um, he actually went through a recession um, after World War II as well, and he actually increased debt um, by more than, than his son did. Um, so that there is comparisons between different prime ministers depending on the recessions um, and the amount of spending that you took on during those recessions in particular really had an impact on how much debt you were taking on. Uh, perhaps this is an obvious one, but can you see um, distinct differences between fe- um, federal liberal governments versus federal conservative governments? There isn't a huge difference um, when we look at, um, you know, liberals versus versus federal uh, conservatives. Um, you know, both Pierre Trudeau and Brian Mulroney, we saw increased debt um, per person debt at the federal level um, by more than what we saw Justin Trudeau take on during their tenures post-World War. 
Um, however, we do see on the other side, um, you know, as well, um, Stephen Harper and, and John Diefenbaker experiencing recessions, but increasing per person debt at a lower rate than Justin Trudeau. So there isn't necessarily a, a huge difference um, based on the, the federal party in power. Um, it's more so to do with the timing and, and the decisions that were made um, by the prime ministers uh, during their tenures. Jake, I think we're kind of all in our own little worlds when we hear about these interest rate hikes and how it's going to affect my mortgage or maybe my, my loan, variable products out there. But we perhaps don't think about the federal debt and federal debt levels. How does the interest rate hike factor into those levels? Yeah, well, with interest rates on the rise, it will be especially important for the federal government to pay more attention to debt accumulation and the costs imposed on Canadians. When we have interest rates climbing, that means the, the amount of money um, from revenue that we, we pay in our tax dollars is increasing um, to the amount that we actually pay interest costs on the amount of debt that we're paying. And this is money that doesn't go towards um, any services like healthcare, education, social services. It's money that goes straight to, towards servicing the, the debt that we have. So as our debt keeps climbing and our interest rates are going up, that, that means more and more of our tax money is just simply going to go towards these interest payments, um, which imposes a real cost on Canadians at the, at the end of the day. Um, and in the future, it could lead to potential tax increases um, if you're having to, to constantly uh, chase your tail with, with more and more interest costs that you have to make for, for payments. Thank you for breaking it down, Jake. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Jake Fuss, senior economist with the Fraser Institute. We just keep piling on the happy news these days, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. It's the, it really, truly is seems to be the perfect storm of inflation and interest rates and mortgage rates and yeah. all of the above. Well, it's something you and I've talked about, which is, you know, always looking at all options now. Perhaps you might have said home ownership is the only way to go. Mm-hmm. And we've looked at people who, uh, you know, strongly believe in home ownership. And then, you know, you and I both had friends, I'm sure, and family members who have perhaps chosen to rent. And before, I always looked at that as, you know, when you're looking about years down the road, not maybe the brightest move. And then you start to think, maybe they're onto something. So, um, you know, rental is something you might want to look at. And uh, when it comes to renting, it's kind of a good news, bad news story Mm -hmm. in that it's gone up in the city of Calgary. But stop it right there. In comparison, we're not doing so bad, Sue. So Calgary rent prices did go up 7% just last month alone. But it doesn't even put Calgary in the top 20 for most expensive cities to rent. I guess that's the good bright side of it, right? Um, Average single bedroom rental in Calgary, just over, well, close to $1,600. Wow, a mind-boggling 26% increase from this time last year. That is nuts. Two-bedroom rental in Calgary, about, well, just under 2000 a month, which is 25% higher than last year at this time. Yeah, and when the comparison's broken down of that uh, just under $1,600 a month, that is for the one-bedroom. That puts us at number 22, so hence not even in the top 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is Vancouver. Shocker. Whereas we're paying just under sixteen. They're paying just over 2400 per wow. month. Yeah, and then I go down the list. Edmonton is, is obviously lower than us. They're not even on this list. But our increase of uh, 6.19%, according to this uh, list of over 20, um, only is topped by Cambridge, Ontario at 6.25%. So what this means is we had the highest increase, so we were obviously considerably lower than the others, I, I would think, uh, you know, on that list up till a month ago. I just dug down to the next page on that list, Andy. Lethbridge, Red Deer, Edmonton, they rank 32, 33, 34. Wow. So well down from Calgary. 
Interesting times. Mm-hmm. You've got to do your due diligence. This is obviously becoming a theme because it's affecting so many different corners of uh, those expenses we have. And the world's going to know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. Broadway across Canada's production of Hamilton opened in Calgary last night. And joining us is one of the stars of the show, Marja Harmon, who plays Angelica Schuyler. Good morning to you. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot rave enough about this show. I think perhaps the best musical I've ever seen. Um, I went with my daughter (laughs) and she leaned over at one point and said to me, I have goosebumps. It was so, so good. All the performers are amazing. You've done such a brilliant job of it. How does it feel to be performing in a production like this that's just gotten so many rave reviews since the moment it was, you know, put forth in front of the public? Um, it truly feels incredible. Like the entire company has such a sense of pride in telling this story because it is a masterpiece. It's also an artistic challenge. Um, and coming together every single night and doing it, especially after the pandemic when audiences have been like waiting with bated breath for years to see it. Um, it's definitely given us like a renewed sense of excitement and appreciation for performing. Absolutely. Margie, you mentioned the challenge, and I'm wondering, this is such a unique production. You know, how long, can you give us a kind of a bird's eye view of how long it takes behind the scenes to get something like this up and running when it comes to rehearsals and and just before opening night? Absolutely. It takes about a month to put the show up. Um, And, we know, we, we take it apart, you know, by act. Act one, we conquer. Then act two, there are some numbers that truly take an entire day to stage. Um, and then on top of that, you know, especially, you know, I play a Skylar sister, so I, I, we're corseted. <laughs> so you know, not only are you singing some of the hardest music ever written, but you're moving around and doing it in a corset. It's, it's an incredible physical challenge. It's an incredible mental and emotional challenge. Um, and this company is really just exceptional. And um, it's a pleasure to come together with them every single night and, uh, you know, sing Lynn and uh, Alex Lackamore's music and speak his words. It's really incredible. The performances are brilliant. The voices, wow, when everybody was singing. It's just, it really is. It's, I can't even say enough. It just was so spectacular to watch. Now, I know that you had gotten sick and your understudy was on for you in the show that I saw last night. And I wanted to ask you, how important is that? That, you know, you've got incredible talent as the main roles, but you've got these understudies who are able to take over. That's really kept live performances and Broadway as a whole going as we've come out of the pandemic, hasn't it? A hundred percent. Like the swings, the understudies, the standbys are all the backbone of our industry and our community. And um, I actually, so yes, I actually wasn't in the show last night. I will be back tonight. I am so excited. It's been 10 days. Um, But um, we I started off in the show as a standby, so I I know exactly the type of courage and fortitude and skill it takes to pop into a show, and especially a show like this, um, at the last minute, um, and be able to do a myriad of different roles. The woman that you saw last night, she doesn't only do Angelica, she also does Eliza and Peggy Mariah, um, which is something that I've had to do as well. So. I mean, an incredible shout out. I believe you saw Malika Sheree, mm-hmm. but to her. Um, but like, yeah, it's it's a hard, hard role. 
it can feel very unappreciated at times because, you know, you're behind the scenes a lot. But man, oh, man, are they some of the most talented and skilled individuals in our company, for sure. Marja, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate the conversation and uh, break a leg tonight. Thank you so much. I can't wait to be back. Good stuff. That is Marja Harmon. The actress who plays Angelica Schuyler in uh, Hamilton. More details and tickets, broadwayacrosscanada.ca. And, of course, it's on at the Jube right through till the 31st. And they are releasing 40 tickets for every performance at $10 each. It's a Hamilton lottery here in Calgary. Go to hashtag ham, the number four, ham for ham lottery, and get yourself some of the tickets. But no matter what price you pay, it is well worth every penny. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.